0: Um, we are, we're almost at the end of our journey uh, through Isaiah. I was actually going to finish this week, but I think I must be kind of reluctant to finish Isaiah because I've enjoyed it so much, so we're, we're spinning it out for another week. Um, so this is our penultimate visit to Isaiah. Um, and actually this, this morning I'm just going to read four verses, it's a very short reading. I'm going to read it a couple of times, and it's quite a, a simple reflection this morning. Uh, but I hope also one uh, that is maybe just what we need to hear. Uh, We're going to read from Isaiah 64. um, And if I can get power on my clicker, Caleb. No, I might might need you to move it on. It's all right. We're going to read from Isaiah 64 and from the first verse. The prophet says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. It's a very short reading, so I'm going to read it again. So Let's read again from verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any god besides you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. I want to encourage you, as always, um, to find a quiet place this week, uh, or later today, uh, and just spend more time just soaking in those verses, and you may, you want, to read, may want to read the whole chapter as well uh, that follows after. Um, but maybe I want, to, I want to jump right in or begin with what might sound quite a strange question uh, this morning, but uh, I want to ask you this. Is God more powerful than your kettle? Um, I've kind of updated it for today. The passage we read talks about twigs that are set ablaze and cause water to boil, but most of us don't boil water that way anymore. So I want to ask you, is God more powerful than your kettle? Um, I don't know if you've thought recently about how amazing your kettle is, um, I, I'm guessing if I asked you to list the most amazing devices you have in your house, the kettle probably wouldn't rank up there. We kind of take our kettle for, for granted. Uh, but think for a moment with me about what your kettle is able to do. Uh, you put in water that is cold to the touch, and you press a little button, and what happens? The water is transformed. First it becomes lukewarm, then it becomes warm, then little bubbles start to appear. If you've got one of those modern kettles that you can see into, you can see all this happening. Uh, Little bubbles start to appear, and then bigger bubbles start to appear, and then the water starts to move violently and give off steam, and it becomes scalding hot, and then you can use it to do all kinds of things. You can make a pot noodle or... uh, a cup of coffee or whatever it is uh, you're wanting to do with the water. Um, Your kettle can make things happen, can set things in motion, can change the configuration of molecules. I want to ask you this morning, can your God do that? Is your God more powerful than your kettle? Can he make things happen? Can he set things in motion? Um, I've been thinking about Um, one of my favourite songwriters, I'm not necessarily recommending. Uh, Those of you who don't know me, my taste in music, I'm told, is really depressing. Um, So I'm not recommending. But uh, there's an Australian singer-songwriter called Nick Cave, um, who looks kind of depressing, as you can see. Um, But um, he's somebody I'm endlessly fascinated by. And Nick Cave himself is kind of endlessly fascinated by God, but not quite sure what he thinks about God. And so God kind of haunts his songs at times uh, as you you listen to his words. And one of Nick Cave's most famous songs begins with these very strange words. I don't believe in an interventionist God. Uh, Believe it or not, it's a love song. goes on to be a little love song. He says, but I know that you do. Um, But it's just those words that I want to quote. I don't believe in an interventionist. God, in other words, Nick Cave seems to be saying he believes in some kind of God, but not a God who can intervene in the world. Um, That that view of God is if you want a technical term, um, it's sometimes called deism. And in deism, the idea is that God is the great creator, he's the designer and architect of everything. He's kind of the the watchmaker. (laughs) who kind of intricately designed the way that everything works. But having set everything up and kind of wound up the clock, he then withdraws to heaven. And he doesn't really involve himself in the day-to-day life of his creation. In the same way that the watchmaker is not involved in every tick of your watch, he made it, it gets wound up, it goes, and then he's not involved again. That's the the deist view of God. God is God in heaven, and he's maybe watching us from a distance. Do you remember that terrible song? Um, It's a really terrible song. Uh, Go and listen to the words again. It's really terrible. Um, God is watching us from a distance. That's the deist view of God. Um, Sorry, I don't know why I'm ranting about that song. but, um, uh, But in the deist view of God, in our ordinary daily lives, God doesn't show up. God doesn't speak or act in any observable way. He doesn't make anything happen. He made everything happen in the beginning, but in day-to-day life, he doesn't cause anything to happen. He is, in a sense, less influential than your kettle. Your kettle can make things happen, but God is distant and impotent uh, to make anything happen. Um, Maybe what I want to suggest is the people of God in exile in Babylon were in danger of becoming functional deists. They weren't deists theologically. If you'd asked them what kind of God they believed in, they wouldn't have described that kind of God. But in in practice, they were in danger of becoming deists. They still believed in God. They hadn't become atheists. They still read the scriptures and said their prayers. But if they were being honest, it had been a while since they saw God make anything happen, since they saw God intervene in their lives. Uh, what they still had, I guess we could say, was stories. If You can put that up on the screen, Caleb. Um, they still had stories about what God did in the days of old, and they still told those stories to each other and to their children. And those stories were precious to them and important to them. And they told stories about what God did in the past when when God had come down and when God had showed up and shaken the earth and when God acted on behalf of his people. Uh, And to use that lovely phrase that we read, the time in the past when God did awesome things that we did not expect. And so they told those stories about The days of old Um, and if you go back later on and read the previous chapter in Isaiah 63 you'll find the people of God recalling specifically the days of old that's the phrase that they use and especially they remembered the days of Moses which maybe for them were the the most exciting stories of all and they remembered the time when God sent his glorious arm of power how's that for a phrase God sent his glorious arm of power and shook things up and made things happen. If you just think for a moment of just of the time of Moses, think about the things that God did. God spoke to Moses from a burning bush that burned and was not consumed. Just stay with the bush, Caleb, if you go back. Um, God sent the plagues on Egypt to bring his people uh, out from slavery in Egypt God led the people through the parted sea on dry ground. God drowned Pharaoh's armies in the water. God led the people through the wilderness with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And all of those things happened in the days of Moses. But for the people of God in Babylon, it had been a while since anything like that had happened. And I guess maybe the thing I want us to reflect on this morning is that over time, it's possible for a whole religious culture to become functionally deist. A whole religious culture can stop asking God to come down and make anything happen, can stop expecting that God might do that. Um, Back in chapter 63, twice during that chapter as they looked back on the days of old, they asked the question, where is he? In other words, they're saying, where is that God now? That God we've heard about in the stories, that God who showed up in the days of Moses, where is he? They're looking around and saying, we we haven't seen him recently in our lives. God had become possibly for them more like a character in a story than someone who would show up in their daily life. And so... It's in that context, I think, that we get this tremendous cry from the prophet um, where he says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. He's saying it's the cry of a heart that is longing for God to come and shake the earth again like he did before and do awesome things that we didn't expect like he did before and act on behalf of his people like he did before. Um, the prophet is longing for God to come and shake things up and maybe, maybe to wake his people up from where they are sleepwalking through their lives and make something happen. That's what he's longing for. Um, I wonder, can you find somewhere in your heart, is there a hunger, is there a desire, is there a longing to see those kind of things happen? Um, I want to reflect on our lives. Let's go back to the the stories again for a second. Um, It is very possible for us today in our religious culture in Northern Ireland to become functional deists, to become people who, who are not atheists, who are not denying that God exists, and who still have stories that we love to tell of what God did in the days of old but who don't expect God to make anything happen here and now. It's very possible for us to become those kind of people. Um, What kind of stories do we have, you and I? Well, we we have the same Old Testament stories that the people in Babylon had. We have the stories that we love to tell to our kids and to each other of God speaking to Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Elijah and speaking through dreams, and visions, and angels, and prophets, and God acting in power to bring the people out of slavery, and to feed his people with bread from heaven, and water from a rock, and making the walls of Jericho fall, and sending fire on Mount Carmel, and meeting with his people in the tabernacle, and the temple, when the glory of God descended like a cloud, and filled the place. And we love those stories, and we tell them often. That's a God who comes down, who shows up, who makes things happen. Of course, we also have other stories. We have the story of Jesus right at the centre of everything that we believe, where we believe that at a certain moment in history, God came down in a new and remarkable way and lived among us so that we saw his glory. And of course, when God showed up in Jesus... Things happened. (laughs) That's kind of an understatement. Things happened. The deaf heard, the blind saw, the lame walked and danced, the dead were raised, people were liberated from demonic oppression, sinners found forgiveness. Things happened. Um, And then Jesus returned to heaven. And sometimes we seem to assume that at that point things stopped happening. (laughs) Um, Even though As we read on in the book of Acts, it makes clear that after Jesus returned to heaven, he poured out his spirit and the church went out into the world in the power of the spirit and things continued to happen (laughs) all the way through the book of Acts. Little fires were lit all over the Roman Empire. Um, And so we have those stories as well and we love to tell those stories too of the days of old and the things that happened. And of course... We also have stories from church history, Uh, and we like hearing stories about times in history when God has moved in power, and lives were changed and nations were changed. And so we tell stories about the revival that happened in Corain in 1859 and in other parts of Northern Ireland, or in the Hebrides in Scotland in the 20th century, or stories about Missionaries to China and missionaries to India and missionaries to Africa. And we love, we love a good missionary story and we love a good revival story and we love to tell stories about times when God came and showed up in power and shook the earth and things happened. But I guess our big question this morning that I, I want to keep coming back to is do we expect that anything like that could happen here? that anything like that could happen now. Where is that God now? Where is he? Has he become just a character in our stories? Or as we sang a few moments ago, is he here moving in this place? This week, um, I don't know if you know what well, you probably don't because it, it wasn't a very big anniversary, but it was the, the 284th anniversary of a famous moment in church history, one of those stories that gets told a lot, when a man called John Wesley was in a Bible study in London and he went home from the Bible study and he wrote in his diary, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And that phrase has been handed down. Um, I was thinking maybe sometimes that's about all we expect. We, we believe God can warm a heart <laughs> Kind of not quite boil a kettle, but he can, he can warm a heart. Um, but of course, for John Wesley, that wasn't the end of the story. That was the beginning. That was the beginning of the heat being applied. But then things started to happen. And here's what one person wrote this week as they reflected on those events. So the flame that lit 10,000 fires began burning in John Wesley's heart on this day in 1738 at a Moravian Bible study in London. And this year, as we approach Pentecost, which is next Sunday, it's worth remembering the movement sparked by that moment. The wildfires ignited by those glowing embers in Wesley's heart. This tiny flame detonated the Methodist movement, reformed British society, averted a bloody revolution, repopulated dying churches, mobilised the laity, rescued millions from generational cycles of poverty, catalyzed the planting of countless new churches, and ultimately, through Wesley's disciple, Wilberforce, would criminalise the slave trade throughout the British Empire. It started with one man and his heart being warmed. And the person who wrote that this week finished by quoting... These words from Habakkuk chapter 3, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. It's a powerful thing to pray. Is God just a character in our stories? Or is he a God who could show up where we are? and light fires and make things happen. I was thinking about this. So I was thinking, why do we want God to come and rend the heavens and come down? And I think it's always worth saying it's not for the sake of drama or excitement or entertainment. It's not about running around wanting God just to do magic tricks to keep us entertained. But it's that we want to see hearts changed, Right. We want to see lives changed. We want to see families changed. We want to see neighbourhoods and communities changed. We want to see nations changed. We want to see our world changed. It's because we're aware of so many places, too many places, where there's brokenness and where there's hurt and where there's lostness and where there's loneliness and where there's addiction and where there's sadness. And we see it on the big scale in our world, and we see it up close in our own lives and very close to where we live. And so many places where we need God to come and make things new and to bring healing and to bring hope. That's why we pray this big prayer. Let's put it up again, Caleb. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. We're not looking for fireworks for the sake of fireworks. We want to see hearts healed. We want to see lives changed and and healed by the grace of God. Um, It can sound very big when we talk about revival, and it it is big. Um, But I want to tell a really small story uh, from this week in our community. One person in our community was having a really difficult time and had been through something deeply disappointing and confusing and was wondering what God was doing and feeling a bit hopeless. And then they got a text on their phone from someone else in our church. And it was a very simple text, but it just said, I had a dream about you last night. I don't know why, but I woke up thinking about you this morning and I was wondering how you're doing. And the second person was able to open up and share the the really difficult things that were going on. And the other person was able to start to pray for them every day that week. And later in the week, there were flowers on the doorstep and a card full of God's promises and a walk together to share more about what happened. And there was some healing and some restored hope and courage and some deepened friendship. And I I don't know if you agree with me, those are not small things. But you see how they began. Um, If you have become jaded, if you've become a functional deist, if the God um, who makes things happen is just a character in a book to you, what will you do if you have a dream like that? You'll wake up and say, that was weird, and then have your breakfast and get on with your day. But if you believe that God can light fires and shake mountains and make things happen, then you're going to be curious, you're going to wonder. Could it be that God is giving me a nudge? Could it be that God put that person on my mind as I slept to set something in motion, to make something happen? I want to find out, right? you see the difference in perspective when we believe in a God who can make things happen? Um, Just as we we finish, um, I was thinking about one other question about this. I was thinking... Why do we not more often ask God to come and shake the mountains? Ask God to come down like this and make things happen? Um, I'd love to know your, your thoughts about that question. But um, in my mind, there were two main reasons that come to mind. Um, I think one reason we don't often pray like that is that we're afraid that God won't respond. Maybe the stories are not true. Maybe God doesn't do things like that anymore. And we don't want to get our hopes dashed. And so we ask little and expect little. I think that's one of the reasons. Sometimes we keep our prayers so small and so vague that we won't really have any way of knowing if God answered them or not. And that's a way of keeping our hearts safe. Um, but, you know, I think the other reason why sometimes we don't pray that way is that we're afraid that God will respond. (laughs) And we're afraid about what that might mean. It sounds a little bit radical (laughs) for God to come and shake the earth. It sounds a little bit extreme, maybe a little bit charismatic or something, a little bit out there. We're not sure we're that kind of person. We like to keep things cool. We like to be reserved. Um, I don't know if you know that John Wesley's uh, followers uh, were described by other people in the Church of England as enthusiasts. And that wasn't a compliment. <laughs> it was like, they're a bit enthusiastic. Um, and some of us sometimes, we don't, we don't know if we want to be an enthusiast. We don't know if we want God to set us on fire. Because what might, what might that mean? Where might that lead us? What would that look like? What would people think of us if we became that kind of person? And so sometimes we don't pray that prayer because we're afraid that God might show up and we're afraid of where that might lead. Um, And so as we finish, I just want to underline for myself and for you that we do have a choice. We can ask little and expect little. That is always open to us. And we can read our Bible stories and say our prayers and go through the motions. And we will not be disappointed because we didn't get our hopes up. We'll also not be surprised by anything new, (laughs) by God doing awesome things that we didn't expect, by things that are strange or startling. And I think we'll end up a little bit bored and a little bit boring, a little bit bland and a little bit beige. And every now and again, as we read our stories, we'll wonder, where is that God now? That option is open to us if we want But there is another option, which is that we can bring the stories to God and say, you did this before, and I believe you can do it again. We've heard of your fame, the things you did in the days of old. Repeat them in our day. Write a new story. In our time, show your mighty power. Show your love. Show your goodness. Rend the heavens and come down and light some fires and shake us up and wake us up because we know that we need it and make things happen. Why? For the sake of the church which is often dull and sleepy. For the sake of the world which is lost and broken and hurting. And most of all for the sake of God's own name that it would be lifted up in our neighbourhood and in our nation and in our world that people would see the goodness and power of God and lift up his name in worship Um, I wonder would you join me in a short prayer um, and then we're going to sing a song I love from the from my my youth from the 90s Um, let's let's pray together I wonder would you stand as we pray Father, you, you know our hearts and you know, you know the reasons why we sometimes play it safe. And you know why we sometimes keep our prayers small and tame and timid. Father, I want to pray this morning, would you not allow us to stay in that place of complacency? I want to pray this morning, would you come, God of Moses, God of Abraham, God of Elijah, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who lit fires across the Roman Empire as the church went out in the power of the Spirit, the God who turned this nation upside down not that long ago. We want to pray, would you come again, Holy Spirit? Would you rend the heavens and come down? Would you change our hearts? Would you wake us up and shake us up? We confess that we are sleepy so often and dull so often. Would you light a fire in us? And Father, we want to pray, would it spread, would it spill out of our lives and our homes and our buildings? And would you come and bring healing and salvation to our neighbourhoods and to our town and to our nation. Father, help us today to take the risk of putting our hearts on the line and praying these big prayers. Would you come and write new stories of salvation and renewal and revival in our days? For the sake of your name. Amen.